Hello, my name's Tamsin Westhorpe and welcome to Fresh From The Pod Gardening Stories. Now I can't believe this, but this is my 50th episode and I've been so privileged to talk to 50 incredible guests and I wanted to reserve this episode for someone who's continued to inspire me throughout my gardening career and someone that I watched and remember watching on television as a young girl. So it is none other than the remarkable Peter Seabrook, who's known as a writer, broadcaster, TV presenter, lecturer, and above all, a very good gardener. Peter Seabrook, I am absolutely thrilled you are here on Fresh From The Pod with me for my 50th episode, because you have inspired me since the days of watching Pebble Mill, um, and you continue to inspire me. So for goodness sake, you you just don't stop, do you? But how did your gardening journey begin? Well, uh, it began with uh, my parents and my grandfather uh, when I was about uh, five or six. Uh, it was, of course, the beginnings of the Second World War. Um, food wasn't abundant, uh, and so we grew much of our own. So I would uh, potter in the garden with granddad and my father um and by about the age of 10 i was reasonably proficient so you were born i hope you don't mind me saying 1935 is that right that's correct yes yeah. now i googled before this what else happened in 1935 and it was the year that monopoly was launched which i thought was rather good the volkswagen beetle and the first penguin paperback book came out so it was a good year, I think. A vintage year. <laughs> a vintage year. But, I mean, you have seen the most incredible changes in your lifetime. But it's very interesting that when you started your gardening, gardening was very much a necessity, wasn't oh, it? Without question, yes. You had to garden to live. Uh, um, and we lived in the country. I was brought up on a farm, my grandfather's farm, which uh, went to... Uh, my uncle and the other side of the family eventually. But, I mean, you know, we had uh, chickens and at one stage kept turkeys. Uh, I had a great uncle who used to come down from Chiswick in an old London cab. Can you imagine this? 1940s. Wow. Uh, it was a sort of sit up and beg, you know, all open up on the left-hand side for the luggage. He would come down um, three or four days before Christmas and anything that moved, well, and if it didn't move, uh, went in the back of his taxi <laughs> back, back to the butcher's shop in Chiswick. Well, <laughs> you know, my, my brother's pigeons, some of our rabbits, pretty well anything that moved. <laughs> Went went back to feed the family, yeah. My goodness. And does that seem like another world, another lifetime? Doesn't seem very long ago, quite honestly. Uh, yeah, the time sort of whisks by. Um, at, at that stage, it was quite a small farm, uh, heavy clay, Essex clay. Uh, I remember the steam engines ploughing. You'd have two steam engines, one at one end of the field and the other at the other end, uh, and there would be a five-furrow reversible plough and an enormous cable that wound onto drums beneath the steam engine. So you got at one headland, 
and you tipped the reverse or plough in one direction and there would be a workman sitting on it and, and there would be two whistles as ready to go and the steam engine at the other end would, you know, poof, poof, poof uh, and would start pulling uh, and would pull that plough across uh, the 12-acre meadow uh, uh, or field, I should say, uh, and and must have been third of a mile I suppose and on one occasion the cable broke uh, can you imagine the tension on that pulling a four furrow yes, plow dangerous. and, and, and the, the cable flew and took the top out of an oak tree uh, <laughs> I don't know what health and safety Goodness people me. would say about that these days no what? I was going to say that's something that that definitely has changed health and safety yeah. now I understand I I read somewhere many moons ago that you grew sweet peas at the age of 10 and saved up to go to Holland that's Am I correct right? yes started growing cordon sweet peas uh, before I went to secondary school uh, and, and was um, in friendship with a local florist and so on my bike I would take several times a week bunches of sweet peas which he would buy from me and I saved that money up and it paid for my first flight to Holland. Yeah. So how old were you when you actually got to Holland? Uh, I think 16, 15 or 16. I, I went with the florist uh, who was buying uh, cut flowers from the Alsmere um, auction. And, and so I saw the auction and we went to some of the growers. Uh, and it was quite an eye-opener. I bet. So was that the point that you thought, right, I'm going to do this for a career? I never thought of doing anything else. Yeah. From a very wee boy, he just. I did get told off. Uh, um, I was quite fortunate, really. They changed the education year um, when I was 10, 11. So I sat the 11 plus twice. Um, My my birthday (laughs) being in the three months when they um, moved the year, if you get my meaning. Um, Yeah. I was at. a little village school. I've got my reports here. Gallic, oh, go on, Gallywood Church, Gallywood Church of England mixed and infant school. Peter Seabrook, aged six years and eight months on one of these, and aged seven years on the next one. And the average age in the class was nine. Quite interesting, that isn't it? Yes, all all mixed up together. So, what did they say about you? Well, on, I, I have two here, and on the first one, um, Miss McCarthy said that um, my language, so my written language, was poor, and that my handwriting still needs to try. And that would, of course, go for today, because I was never really taught to write as such. But but the next year, when I was seven. Uh, number in class 15, so it was quite a small class, wasn't it? Uh, and I came first. I was top of the class, seven-year-old, and the rest were nine. <laughs> so you'd stepped it, you'd stepped it up. You'd really, you'd, you'd, and do you know what is so lovely? It's a bit like me. I've got no writing training at all, and my English teachers would just just tickled pink to hear that I was working for a magazine. What on earth would your teacher think about you having a column in the sun for, I think it's 44 years yeah. Yes, now. it is, yeah. <laughs> well, when I got to the grammar school, I found that everybody could do joined-up writing, which I couldn't do. <laughs> 
that was a bit of a baptism of fire. Uh, and I can tell you, I wasn't the happiest of uh, pupils at the grammar school. In fact, when I sat my last um, O-level, uh, I went uh, out of the front gate and chucked my cap over the wall uh, uh, and ran home and started work on the Monday. Well, I couldn't be more pleased to start work. <laughs> Yeah, get out of school. My goodness, that's fast. I love the fact you've still got your school reports. I don't think I'd want to look at mine. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm having a bit of a turnout here, and, and they just they came from the turnout, so I hadn't, I hadn't realised I'd still got them. I have another interesting piece here too, Tamsin. Oh, good, yeah. I went to Riddle College, uh, and, and we had um, what was called the Horticultural Club, which which we ran ourselves, and the whole course went down to Worthing for the weekend, um, cobbled together cars because you weren't allowed cars, but one or two of our um, better-off students had parents that released cars. And I have the hotel bill right. with, a, with a tuppenny stamp on the bottom because when you uh, paid a bill and, and you got it as a receipt, it had to have a tuppenny stamp on and it was signed uh, by whoever was you were doing the purchase with. Okay, so there were 16 of us at the Chatsworth Hotel in Worthing and it was 35 shillings a night yeah. with 11 <laughs> dinners at eight and sixpence. Uh, and apparently... Uh, in rooms 36, 37, 42 and 22, they had early morning tea, uh, which cost uh, 12 shillings. <laughs> How terribly decadent is all I can say. But I wonder if that hotel is still, is still around. When I last went, it was still there. It's right on the front. And, of, and of course, we visited, um, I think, about eight or nine leading nurseries on the south coast saw the first of the year-round pot mums. You know, uh, prior to that, chrysanthemums were just grown in season. But in 1955 was the start of year-round production of chrysanthemums. Now, this is what I find fascinating about you, is that, that, you know, although you're in your 80s, you just love new things, don't you? You love new varieties, trial grounds... Um, has that always been the case, that you're searching out the next best thing? Um, I suppose I'm a bit competitive. Uh, and uh, in many cases, the new introduction would be marginally better than what had been before. And so if you want an edge on the rest, you want to be up with the world. But it changes It changes yeah. so fast now, Tamsin. Uh, it's really very, very difficult for me to keep up. I mean, if you stop and think about it for a minute, yeah. on that farm with the steam engines, we still had horses, okay? Uh, and if you'd have said to me when I was in that Church of England school, at age of 10, all the 10 to 14-year-olds were in one class together under the headmaster. He taught them in strips, if you could imagine it, you know, the 10, 11s and then the 12s and then the 13s. And those coming up to 14 were um, just wanted to go to work and so they weren't very easily managed, except Mr Smith had a six-foot cane and he seemed to be able to control them fairly yeah, well. Now, now if you have said to me when I was sitting there with my inkwell and nib pen... Uh, that I would fly the Atlantic in Concord, I would have thought you were balmy. Well, I mean, you know, you wouldn't, yeah. 
you wouldn't have thought it was possible. Three hours across the Atlantic, what, in one lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, amazing what you've seen. Now, I want to take you back. You did national service for the British Army, didn't you? I did, you? yes. Uh, um, and I didn't, and I didn't have to. Um, that those of us employed in um, agriculture and horticulture could be deferred. Um, but when I came out of uh, Brittle College, uh, how old would I have been? Twenty. Uh, it was my, yeah. you know, it was my feeling that everybody else had to go, so uh, I would go. I don't know quite. I don't know quite why, but but. Uh, you know, things were different then. We were quite patriotic and, and you, you know, you'd sort of did your bit, so to speak. Um, and when I got into uh, the first two weeks training, that was quite an education. Uh, I mean, I hadn't really left home very much. Uh, and, and we did the first two weeks and then there was the opportunity to go for um, officer training. And I thought, oh, well, that'd be all right. I'll have a bit of that, you know, be second lieutenant, you know. Hip yeah. on my shoulder, <laughs> and, and we had to, yeah. to go to Buller Barracks for two for two weeks before we went before the officer selection board, and my feet didn't touch the ground. I'll tell you, for for two weeks, boy, did they try to break our spirit one way and another. You know, you'd spend well into the night cleaning your kit, and the next morning the sergeant major would come in and chuck it all over the floor and tread all over it, and you'd start all over again. Well, <laughs> and you, and we were out anyhow, you know drill and all kinds of things and so when I came up in front of the officer selection board we'd all we'd all agreed all of us you know we didn't want any of that so they said why did you want to be an officer and I said what I've seen in the last fortnight it's the last thing I want (laughs) so out I went and I found I was the only one (laughs) who told them what they could do (laughs) so so I was so I I was sent back to uh, basic training but then of course I'd been in the army a month, and I was put in with new recruits. Now, if you've got a month's experience above the rest, boy, that's a great help. <laughs> well, yeah, you were you were ahead of the half. game. You know, I saw one lad come in uh, with quite long hair. I had very long hair as a student, but but I wasn't going to give him that privilege. I had it all cut off before I went in. But anyhow, we got lined up to go into the barbers one after the other and the fellow in front of me with quite long hair slipped the barber a 10 shilling note <laughs> you won't know what that is right. Tamsin but it was half no. a pound it was a brown <laughs> note you know and he said take it easy and the barber took the 10 bob note and went whoop right up to the, to the crown of the head and <laughs> took the lot off <laughs> you know, the, the oh, army dear. was a great leveller um, but I managed <laughs> To get myself uh, transferred to uh, Horse Guards Parade in Whitehall. That's where I served my 21 months with the Army. Gosh, that's incredible. Uh, I went to every West End show. If, 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 you, if at six o'clock you went to the uh, services club uh, just up the Charing Cross Road, uh, the West End theatres would hand in tickets that weren't sold for service people. Uh, and and so I had a scrapbook with all of the West End shows pretty well. Yeah, it, it was a, a pretty good experience. Yeah, there were um, there were other bits. You know, we had paper aid with Garrison Sergeant Major Stone. That wasn't particularly uh, friendly. Uh, <laughs> had to have me shiny boots. Well, 
I mean, it, it sounds like it was a leveller and it made you realise that, you, you, you know, the army wasn't for you long term and you wanted to remain in horticulture. Oh, without question, yes, yeah. But you could earn a few shillings, you know, because I could use an iron and those people who couldn't press their trousers, then I'd get one of those brown ten bob notes for pressing their trousers for them. Oh, very those... cunning. <laughs> now, now, but you have always appeared on our television screens looking incredibly smart talking about turning yourself out with a tie and is would you say that's been your sort of trademark or do you particularly like gardening in a tie what where does the tie thing come from um my producer for gardener's world which was the first program where i was a sort of solo uh, presenter to camera uh, Barry, the, the late Barry Edgar. Um, when they recruited people for the BBC after the war, uh, they looked for pilots because they said that if they could f- fly um, in combat, a bit of live television really wouldn't worry them. And <laughs> that is lovely. I, that is so brilliant. Gosh, things have and, changed. And, and yeah. it was absolutely right. They were laid back, absolute gentlemen, um, and I was very fortunate to work with Barry for four and a half years until he retired. <clears throat> and, and Barry said to me, uh, when people switch on their television, they're inviting you into your home, uh, and you should behave as if you were a guest being invited into somebody's home. Uh, and I think that still remains. Uh, if you have a jacket, collar, and tie... Uh, and aren't uh, presentable, and you try and be uh, polite, uh, it helps no end. It certainly uh, got me 20 years television coast to coast in the States because I would always wear a jacket and tie, and if it was raining, I would have a black rolled umbrella. And the Americans would, of course, love that, absolutely love this balmy Englishman in in the heat of uh, the White House garden, for example, in July with everybody else perspiring as if there was no tomorrow, and there was this crazy Englishman with his jacket and tie. (laughs) Excellent. Oh, good. But how did you get that break in TV? I mean, there wasn't that much TV being produced. It was a new thing. So, I mean, it was quite brilliant to get yourself on the screen. How did you do that? Well, I started with radio. Um, There there was a programme called, now was it In Your Garden or Down the Garden Path? I'd need to check. I still have all the contracts. Uh, I need to check the contract. Um, but I used to listen to this. Um, and, of course, I was reasonably up to date with things. And many of the old fellows who were contributing weren't perhaps quite as up to date as, as uh, I thought I was. And so I wrote to the producer and said, I don't understand why you employ those people who don't really know much about the subject. <laughs> for for example, and listed several pieces from previous programs that, in my view, were, shall we say, less than accurate. Uh, and, and I got a letter back which said... Uh, uh, you know, come and uh, have lunch, let's have a word. Uh, and uh, the outcome of that was, if you can do better, have a go. And, of course, when you get there, it's not quite so easy as you first thought. Uh, but I had a very good chairman, the late Roy Hay, who who wrote for uh, 
the, the, the Times and the News of the World, and was also editor of Gardner's Chronicle, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, and they were very helpful. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, it, there would be four of us around the table, um, one doing the jobs for the week and uh, two or three of us taking specialist subjects. And if we wanted to speak, we would raise our finger and the chairman would let us in so there was no speaking over one another. It was a very polite and uh, well-disciplined uh, to some extent, I miss that a little bit, uh, it would be fair to say. And, and having done that with uh, radio, uh, and, and I might say with, t- with the trade magazine, I started writing for Nurserymen and Garden Centre. It was Nurserymen and Seedsmen then, uh, using the same, tactic, the same tactic, wrote to the editor and said, why do you use those old people who know nothing about it? Well, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm still writing for that trade magazine, so what are we talking? Do you know... Uh, uh, it's just brilliant that you're, you know, you had the bravery to say, you know, these guys aren't doing it very well. I can do it better. I mean, good for you. Or the, or the foolishness, Tamsin. Well, it, it yeah. worked, didn't yeah. it? I mean, in the army, uh, um, when I went to um, horse guards, uh, for some reason, I was in with a lot of postgrads from Oxford and Cambridge, and a number of them had uh, trained in law and were in the legal department of um, uh, Headquarters London District at that stage. Uh, and, and they were all sending off articles and getting them published and paid. And so I thought I'd have a go at that. That's when I first started. So I wrote my first column and sent it off to Arthur Hellier at the Amateur Gardening, and I still have his rejection slip. I treasure that. <laughs> and And that's... That's how we met, really, wasn't it? Because I was Deputy of Amateur Gardening, oh gosh, 15 years ago, and you had a column then. And I remember, the talk about things changed. I think your wife, Margaret, used to type your article, or you did, and send it in, and then we'd type it out again. It was, it, you know, things have changed incredibly, haven't they? They since have. Then? Um, um, Margaret typed all of my, my um, articles and books, um, really, until the arrival of the computer. You know, she she changed from the old imperial uh, typewriter to an electronic typewriter, uh, which had that rather nice sort of print look, if you recall. Yeah. Um, um, and then in more recent years, once the computer came in, unfortunately, Margaret's health didn't allow her to continue. So uh, the army had taught me to type. Um, and so I, I can just about touch type. Gosh, the army sounds actually more important and significant in your life than I'd imagined, you know, for, for getting your gardening career going. It's, it's wonderful. So how did you meet Margaret? Because I met Margaret many times over the years and you were married to her for 60 years, am I right? Uh, all but two months, yeah. Gosh. We didn't We didn't quite make the diamond wedding. Um, Margaret and I met at um, Brittle College. Ah, so she was horticultural as well? The two of us did the two-year diploma course, yes, together. Uh, um, and I, th- I think it, it would be, uh, as near as I can describe it, we walked out together for the first year. And then there were only about um, 15 or 20 girls at the uh, Brittle Agricultural College at that time. Um and so um, hanging on to a girlfriend was quite tough. <laughs> Competition, yeah. <laughs> and I lost Margaret for the second year. 
to uh, the son of A.G. Roger, Rogers of Pickering. Uh, and how did you woo her back then? Or is that not for a pub, not for the podcast? <laughs> I don't give up very easily, Tamsin. You didn't write a letter saying to, to Margaret what the other chap was doing wrong then, as you, that, how, how you got your magazine work. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm told by um, one other lady student who was with Margaret um, that when I arrived in my um, army blues, that's not the khaki, but the, the dress uniform, which I had absolutely by chance, um, it was reasonably um, impressive, I rather gather. What, <laughs> <laughs> what a move. No, that's fantastic. Um, and, and then I would travel um, to Gloucestershire on my little Bantam motorbike to pursue this lady, yes. And in the end, she gave in. Well, I, th I think she had the raw end of the deal, but there we are. Oh, well, she was very she lovely. She was indeed. Now, um, you've, you've, you said in an article in The Sun that the garden had got you through her loss, you know, that it was so important to you to get back out into the garden. Is, is that the case? Is, did it, sort of, has it helped you? Um, I lost Margaret some years ago, really, with dementia. Um, and coping with dementia, nobody can teach you that. Um, every, every dementia sufferer is is different and reacts in different ways. They they can get aggressive and uh, really frustrated. Um, and so, to some extent, you know, the Margaret that I was married to, I lost. But even so, um, when she died with the coronavirus in a nursing home, uh, it it's a bit final and it does hit you. Um, uh, and and at present, I'm looking after an acre at the. Uh, hilltop at uh, the RHS Garden at Hyde Hall. Uh, and to go up there after everybody gone home uh, and just be at peace with the world um, was a, a, a very good and nice thing to do. And, and somebody told me that um, the spirit comes back in other form. Um, and as I garden here at home, I always have a friendly robin, as no doubt you do. And, and, and up at Hyde Hall, we were planting um, the, the pansy trial, uh, 4,000 pansies in 280 different kinds, um, four of us, and there were no birds at all, except when uh, my colleagues went home and, and I soldiered on for a little bit, um, uh, the robin came and joined me. Uh, and and uh, you have to wonder... Whether the spirit, whether the spirit is there, yeah. Oh, that's lovely, lovely to think that, and and it's wonderful that you're so close to that RHS garden. And I mean, I just find it remarkable. People will be listening, thinking, "Goodness me, this man in his eighties is planting thousands of plants." And last time I spoke to you, you were just off to water. Um, your physical fitness is is important if you're a gardener, but do you think it's kept you fit actually getting out there and being active well it's it's too easy to judge the world from yourself isn't it but but uh, who else do you have to judge it with and f um, when i left school at 16 i went to the cramporn trial grounds um at riddle village about six miles from here 
And in the winter, five of us uh, in a row would dig several acres by hand, up at seven in the morning till five at night, and Saturday morning, uh, 7.30 till 12. You know, if you do dig all day, half past seven till five with a, an hour's break for lunch, you, you sleep quite well. You do. And, 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 and you have a pretty good appetite, you know. Um, and people say, that's hard work. It's not hard work at all. Um, you know, it's an absolute joy. And, and I still like to use a spade. Uh, in fact, when I can't dig the veg garden, which is uh, about 50 foot by 40, um, I'm going to pack up, um, and I'm still digging it, all right, and, and trenching the sweet peas at two spades depth. Um, I get tired, and, and I need a hot bath when I get home, But uh, and, and I don't really like working with people that are about 25. Well, because they might might leave you behind a bit now, they do, I suppose. They do, they do leave me behind, yes, yeah, and that's, and that's very frustrating, that is what. I remember once asking you, you know, if I had a new gardener at my garden, how do you, how are people meant to know how fast to garden? And you said, well, they've just got to keep up with you. And I thought that was quite a good answer. Well, when we did the digging, yeah, um, you know, I was, as I say, 16, 17, uh, uh, and, and they were two or three of them country boys, you know, uh, and we were in a line and digging from left to right. And, of course, you worked at the speed of the fastest. You had no option. You you were driven, weren't you? Mm. Do, you do you see that? Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, it's so satisfying. You go onto a plot, which might be, what, 100 yards by 50, um, and, and you open the trench up at one end, um, and, and there you all are, you know, chatting a bit about the world and not chatting if it doesn't suit you. Uh, and come tea break, you're, you're back several yards. And come lunchtime, you're back a few more yards. And by the end of the day, you can really see where you've been. You know, it's very satisfying. And there it is, perfectly level, um, very well left in lumps, ready to to break down you know it's a really satisfying job yeah uh, but I mean it's very interesting in in your lifetime I remember looking back at issues of amateur gardening that were from you know the 50s and you'd see you know a gentleman with a pipe spraying um it's you know you lo- you think my goodness the world has changed but what's been the biggest change in the horticultural industry would you say that you thought wow that's groundbreaking. There are several things. The arrival of polythene and plastic really has changed the way horticulture works and the way that gardeners work. You know, if you think of rigid pots and potting machines and um, polythene tunnels and all of that, you know, goodness, mm. uh, that, 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 that has really changed. Yeah, we still have so much to learn. And I think, you know, the fact that you've seen so much in your lifetime, I wonder what we'll see in the next 80 years and how people will be gardening. But I think what is quite wonderful, the biggest change for me, I think, in my lifetime, is that we are, well, especially during coronavirus, during the pandemic, how many people have gone back to gardening? Like at the very start of our conversation, it it became a necessity, didn't it, for people, actually? Yes. Um, and and all walks of life, 
yeah. um, you know, the PA of, of, of um, one of the national newspaper editors, uh, um, you know, a lady of, of uh, some talent and, and a quite a demanding job, uh, um, has gone back to gardening. Yeah. And that's got to be good for all our mental health, physical well-being. Um, but talking about uh, magazines and newspapers, sorry, I've got so much to ask you, I'm dancing all over the place. Um, you still go into the sun, don't you? Yes. I like to see people. I love that. So you've, you've been going into the sun offices for 44 years. I went in, I, I always would go in once a week, yes. Um, even from the day, when I started uh, in um, Fleet Street, well, uh, the sun was in Bouverie Street, just off Fleet Street. Uh, I would um, go in to see people every week because they would teach you all kinds of things, you know. If, if your copy wasn't quite right, they would explain why, they would help you. Um, I always took a bag of apples when the apples were in season. I was the apple man. Brilliant. And, and boy, boy, did that oil some wheels and still does, you know, because uh, if, if the lad in the post room uh, um, doesn't remember your name or anything, you know, it's the apple man. Any chance of going and getting me a back copy for, um, you know, week four months ago or something, you know, you do something for people and they usually remember uh, and are kind enough to do something back brilliant that that's a very good tip for all of us for all our careers i think keep keep a bag of apples handy <laughs> well uh, if, you, to... if you go into the editor yeah um, with a really nice bag of apples and of course they, they were the, the right variety in the season and just ready to eat you know and you offer one and the editor is foolish enough to take it uh you say taste it and then you have three minutes before they've emptied their mouth and can speak <laughs> These tactics, you know, honestly, they're just brilliant. Now, talking of the sun, you are, I was really excited to reach my 50th podcast and I've listened to your podcast, This Week in the Garden with Peter Seabrook with the sun. You've done hundreds. You know, I just kept scrolling down, scrolling down. I thought, this is remarkable. You started that in 2016 before a lot of us decided to do podcasts. So again, you're you're there first. How did that come about? Have I really been doing it since 2016? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Once I heard there was such a thing, you know, I worked in ra- I worked in radio, so it's not difficult doing a broadcast. Uh, um, and there, are, I think, an awful lot of unsung heroes in our trade, uh, people that I hold in very high regard and who I respect, uh, who have enormous knowledge. Um, and and if on air I can tease some of that out, then we have a permanent record. Uh, and if I don't make the effort, we don't have that. I mean, there's, there's a really lovely fellow, John Burroughs, who has just died of cancer. Uh, John started um, in the sea trade, I think, with Hearst and then went to Thompson Morgan and set up business on his own. Um, pretty tough for, you know, a one-man band to actually compete with those um, really big and well-known brands of uh, uh, seed companies. Uh, and he built a very good business 
particularly with breeders around the world who would be a bit like him, um, you know, small time, but coming up with some really wonderful things. The Piccolo Tomato, which is a club tomato uh, that only certain supermarkets can stock, was found by uh, John Burroughs. Uh, I will miss John uh, no end. He was a lovely man. Uh, um, and if I can get um, some of those people just to chat for 20 minutes uh, and to give us some of their experiences. Uh, I was with Phil Johnson uh, last week, um, who was a very enthusiastic sweet pea, amateur sweet pea exhibitor and grower, and, and he's now bought uh, a company called Seed Links and is in the wholesale uh, seed trade business. And I walked his greenhouses uh, and the information that fellow gave me, I mean, I've been growing sweet peas for 75 years uh, and and, and I, I'm walking down a greenhouse in Essex, my home county, and, and hearing things I didn't know. Most of us, when we write, will say you need to keep cutting sweet peas to keep them coming. Yes. You've written that, Tamsin, haven't you? I have many times. You're going to tell me it's wrong now. And I have too. No, there's a variety called Heaven Scent that yeah. is very shy seeding. And so you don't need to do that. If you grow Heaven Scent, it's so shy seeding, it, it will shed its dying flowers anyhow, so you don't need to do that. Top tip of the day. Amazing. <laughs> and they've had quite a bit of bud drop. I, I don't understand why. He's had quite a bit of bud drop in his seed crops in the greenhouse this year. Uh, we think because of the really cold nights and hot days in April, you know, it was uh, really quite dramatic, except in my polytunnel here, I didn't have that bud drop. I mean, that's one of the interesting or frustrating things about our business. Every day is different. Every season is different. And, and trying to... Um, combat what mother nature throws at us is a, a big part of the challenge yeah and and your problem's never the same as my problem it's all it's just so varied yes yeah but i mean just really to end you've achieved so much and you've got an mbe um you've got the victoria medal of honor um Honestly, is there anything else you think, I really would like to leave that as a legacy, I'd really like to do this? I don't know, that's a difficult question. Um, as a youngster, we used to grow perennial scabious. Mm. I think it's about right for a revival. So I'm starting to see if I can select out quite a good strain of scabious, scabious called cassica, that is, yeah. Um, there was um, varieties like Suter's Violet um, that had very good stems and, and good colour. Uh, we seem to have lost that to a fair degree, uh, but I think uh, it could be brought back. It gives me a reason to live, you know. It'll take seven to ten years, I suppose, so uh, uh, <laughs> I need to keep digging a few bits of stuff. Uh, I, I've just planted two or three hundred seedlings and a damn fox. It's in a suburban back garden. I think it's a couple of uh, cubs or something. They, they've just absolutely wrecked them. Oh, no. Boy, you do need to grit your teeth sometimes in this gardening business, don't you? Hey. Yeah, crack on. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, Peter, you are just a complete inspiration. Um, and I just, 
you know, I remember the first time I went to Chelsea Flower Show, actually, your Sunflower Streets when I was a student were just wow in the mar- in the marquee. Um, I shouldn't call it a marquee, it's far better than that, but the pavilion. Um, they were quite groundbreaking, weren't they, your gardens at Chelsea? Uh, um, without question. And, 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 and in some ways I'm cross because one of those gardens had a, had a car on it with a turntable. And I don't understand why that idea hasn't uh, taken off. If you've got a small front garden um, and you take your car off the street and park it on a turntable, you just spin it round so that you don't reverse out into the street again. Um, it, it seemed like a very good idea. Uh, the RHS were really against me having a car. I had to fight tooth and nail. In the end, we said we'd have a vintage car, and apparently a vintage car was acceptable, whereas a, a modern car wasn't. Um, and I liked the idea of the walkway with Sunflower Street. Yeah, you could walk up and look down on it, couldn't you? Just as if you were in your bedroom window looking down. Um, you know, if you stop and think about it, in many houses today, the garden is only really looked at first thing in the morning and in the evening if it's still light. When you look out and look down and see the whole garden, um, but for health and safety reasons, they said we couldn't have the stairs. So I'm afraid I got I got a bit cross with that, but uh, there we are. Yeah. But you're you're always bringing gardening to everyone, aren't you? You're bringing it to people with tiny gardens. You're you're thinking of, you know, including children. You're just yeah, all all encompassing for everyone. So that's been something I've definitely noticed. Well, there's there's several things when you mention children. Well, well, first of all, at uh, at Chelsea for a number of years we had um, Riddle College and other horticultural college students. Um, um, one young lady at Riddle apparently was was very interested in the foxgloves that were grown at Riddle and staged on our pyramid, uh, um, and wanted to uh, see it for herself, uh, and borrowed the money from a fellow student apparently to get the train and come in and see us. Um, I said, did we repay her her fare? And she says that we did, thank goodness. Um, that that lady said that going to Chelsea and, and working on that and seeing Chelsea was an inspiration to her. Uh, she's now the Chelsea Flower Show manager. Excellent. Now, that is a good... All started on your Sunflower Street. That's that's wonderful story. Yeah, and we have... And we have children, too, with exactly the same story, mostly primary school children. Uh, we took a coachload of them to um, the Floriard in Holland, um, having grown gerberas to compete with Dutch and German school children. And, and young Morgan, uh, uh, who was a bit, uh, shall we say, uh, exuberant and uh, not always easy to control, had to try the stepping stones across the Kukanoff garden <laughs> and, and, and fell in, of course. Well, <laughs> and the Dutch were fantastic. You know, they just whipped him up and apparently they had big drying machines there. Took his clothes <laughs> off, dried him, and <laughs> half an hour later he was back, he was back with us. Uh, and so, we, you know, we do these crazy things. And this year, uh, an, an even crazier thing, we're going to... Uh, get a whole comprehensive school in Pershaw, 1,200 students. Oh, gosh, that's amazing. To, to grow a chrysanthemum. 
in a fortnight's time, we're going to arrive, uh, and I understand it's fairly well arranged, trestle tables in the uh, recreation area, and they're all lined up, uh, and they will pot their chrysanthemum cutting, called poppins, uh, take it home and grow it through the summer and then bring it back in bud or flower when the new term starts. Uh, and if at all possible, if Chelsea goes ahead, as we hope it will, some of the best of those chrysanthemums will be selected out and will will be on our pyramid at Chelsea. Some of them will be bronze in colour, uh, and I hear that uh, 47 of uh, the pupils signed up for the Duke of Edinburgh's Bronze Award, and growing a chrysanthemum is part of uh, one of the things they need to do to get that Bronze Award. So uh, um, if they all fail, then um, life could be a bit tricky, shall we say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I should have a few in the wings, but that sounds so lovely. That's brilliant. Oh, Peter, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for being my 50th guest. And I hope to see you very soon with a spade in hand, no doubt. Yeah, well, I, I, I apologise if I bored some of your listeners. I don't think you will have done. That was just wonderful, and I was so chuffed when Peter pulled his school report out of the drawer. I wasn't expecting that. What golden material. Now we've done 50 episodes, we're going to slightly change the format of Fresh from the Pod. I will be appearing every week from the garden or potting bench sharing with you practical tips and plant advice and I'll also be asking other expert gardeners about the way they do things in the garden, their techniques and their favourite plants and we'll appear every single week and in the fourth week we'll revert back to doing a longer interview with an expert or gardening celebrity. I hope you enjoy the new format, thank you for joining me today and in the meantime happy gardening. <laughs>